in the name of Jesus because it's at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so God, we think about the power and majesty. We are overwhelmed by your love and your mercy and your grace for us. And we know that it is no accident that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, but he didn't stop there. That's not the end of the story. It really is just the beginning of the story because he also rose again. And God, I pray today that we would understand the greatness of your mercy and love and the promise of the hope we have in the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. As you grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 13 through 17, and we're starting a new sermon series called Come to the Table. Now, if uh, you listen to any Christian radio at all in any way, shape, or form, you've probably heard over the last probably year or so a song by a group named uh, Sidewalk Prophets called Come to the Table. Matter of fact, it's probably one of my favorite songs over the last couple of years or last year um, just to listen to, to think about the words and, and everything. And so as we, when this sermon series or when this, uh, sorry, when that song came out, the sermon series kind of came to mind, and I'll give you a little heads up. A long time ago, when I was youth pastor in Texas, uh, there was a church down in Texas called Fellowship Church. Uh, a guy named Ed Young Jr. was the pastor, or still is the pastor. He's not so junior anymore, I say that. Um, he's just older, grayer hair, stuff like that. But he did a sermon series called The Table, um, and I remember a long time ago thinking, man, that would be a great uh, idea to go with something like that. Well, this song came out, kind of sparked some ideas, some thoughts, and then I started putting some, some things together. So we came to this sermon series called Come to the Table. And if you have your Bibles, again, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to use the table as an analogy really for the, the church and, and, and as well an, an analogy for, for the kingdom of God and, and what's going on. And so Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read to verse 17. Listen to what he says. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And what does Jesus say? He says, follow me, Jesus told him. So Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner, all right, so we don't know when, we don't know how it went, but at some point in time, Jesus is having dinner at Levi's house. And many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with who? Who's he eating with? Tax collectors and what? Sinners. He's, he's eating with his sinners and the tax collectors. They asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have, not to come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So today we're going to use an analogy. We're going to use a comparison with the table, your even your own dinner table, and how it can relate or really communicate to us and what we need to learn from that. And as I was preparing for this sermon series or preparing for this idea, uh, I decided to Google a couple things. And I, my first thought was, what are some benefits of eating together as a family? Right, and in my household, when we grew up, we ate together as a family most every night. Now, my dad worked between 15, 16 hours a day, so sometimes he would miss out or he would catch the end of the meal, or my mom would call him and he'd be on a road call out somewhere in Wyoming working on a truck, and he'd be like, hey, I'm just not going to make it. But 90% of the time, we ate meals together. Matter of fact, our family still today uh, eats meals together. 
Sometimes they're chaotic. Sometimes it's like at 4.30 because of everything that's going on, we inhale a meal. Because if we don't eat at 4.30, it's going to be 9 o'clock at night. All right? But we will sit down and eat on a regular basis. So I started doing some, some research, tried to find out what are some of the benefits of eating dinner together as a family. And I wanted to give you a number of these. are going to pop up on the screen as we go through it, as we follow along. So here's number one, some of the benefits of eating together. Number one is better academic performance. All right? Better academic performance. Anna, pop those up there. All right? Here we go. Better academic performance. The kids who eat together with their parents usually tend to have better grades. It's just a common recurring theme that they, when they studied, they saw when parents ate together with their kids, they have a better academic performance. Adolescents who ate family meals five to seven times a week were twice as likely to get A's in school as those who ate dinner with their families fewer than two times a week. All right? So there's one. Does that have anything to do with spiritual things? No, not necessarily does it at all. But it's better academic performance. Number two is they are better physically. They are physically healthier in the long run because they eat meals together. Now, there's a number of things you can look at. Young adults who ate regular family meals as teens are less likely to be obese and more likely to eat healthy once they live on their own. Now, I have a, a, a confession to make because this is one of those things. When we were a youth pastor, and I, I think I've used this story one time before or something, we had kids over at our house all the time. We'd say, hey, come on over, you can eat. If, if I was changing the oil in my car, I would teach some of the teenage boys how to change oil. There was all kinds of things that we tried to do to mentor and disciple these teenagers. And one of the things we did is we had a, a couple of kids whose home lives were a wreck, and so we'd invite them over to eat a meal with us, and then they'd go to church with us on Wednesday nights. And I'll never forget one night, we cooked a regular, what I would call a regular meal. It was like grilled chicken, green beans, you know, stuff like that. We had this teenage boy over, he's 17 years old, and he sits down, we pray, and we get done praying, and he's just sitting there like in awe. And he, this is the next words, don't take this wrong, but y'all are weird. And I was like, what? And he goes, you eat like this all the time? And I was like, yeah? Like I'm sitting here going, what? What? Now, you have to keep in mind, I had, I had gone, I had taken him and a couple other teenage boys out, and when we would go eat somewhere, he would always get like two orders of mozzarella sticks. I'm like, you going to order anything else? No, no, that's good, man. I'm, I'm like, I understand you're a teenager, but don't you want like a burger, you know, some meat, grilled chicken, steak? No, no, mozzarella sticks are good. And come to find out, basically how he grew up was his mom would cook dinner, whatever it was, and she'd yell from the kitchen, hey, dinner's ready, and she'd take her plate, and she'd go off to her room, and he'd take his plate, and go off to his room, and he'd play his games, or watch TV, or do whatever, and that's how they ate. But what they found out is it's physically healthier to eat together. Number, number three is this, and I call it soul food, for those of you who like that down south soul food cooking all right? Here's what happens when you eat together. Regular family dinners are credited with lowering a host of high-risk teenage activities like substance abuse, violence, school problems, eating disorders, and sexual activity. One study found it also lowers the rate of depression and suicidal thoughts when you have a chance to eat together with your family members. So it will lower the depression and the suicidal thoughts that a teenager or other person may deal with during that time. 
All right? So it lowers high-risk behavior. Next one, Anna, pop that bad boy up there. All right? Keep up. All right. Lowers the rate of depression and suicidal thoughts. Here's the next one. Higher frequency of family meals together was strongly associated with positive moods. Okay? They had more positive moods. Also, there was a sense of belonging and a higher self-esteem in adolescence. A sense of belonging and a higher self-esteem. Just because they ate together. Families that eat together are able to communicate a sense of belonging and a higher self-esteem. Listen to this. Similarly, other researchers have shown that teens who dine regularly with their families also have more positive views of the future. In other words, their outlook on life is a little more positive. There's a benefit to that. Now, while I say all of this, I want to lay this out because none of this has really anything to do with spiritual needs, does it? But here's what I believe the greatest thing, that the thing that can take place during the time of eating that is most necessary is the spiritual discipleship and mentoring and investments that you can make in your kids' lives as a result of eating together as a family. Now, while we look at that, all right, while we think about that spiritual aspect that takes place, I want you to think about this. We just talked about a number of things that I think we can look at from a spiritual realm or within a biblical context and understand that when we come to the table, that there are some positive things that can come out of it. There are benefits of eating together, all right? Now, I'm not just talking about physically eating together as a body. That's going to be part of it. So there's this fellowship aspect. But I'm talking about spiritually eating together. In other words, what's it mean to be a part of a life group or a Bible study? What does it mean to be connected to the life of the church? How do I come up to the table? And So that's what we're going to look at as we jump into this series called Coming to the Table. So today we're going to jump in the table. And I want to ask you this question, all right? Because this is really the sermon title. Who's at your table? Who have you invited to your table? Who's, who's eating with you? Who's investing in you? Who's your spiritual mentor and things like this? Because all of these are a great introduction to the series, but we have to begin to understand there's something that is to be said when we pull up to the table, we take in a meal, and then we push away from the table and go and serve other people. See, that's the big picture of what should take place. Matter of fact, there's a lot of mentions of the or in the Bible about a table. In Psalm 23, it says, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies." All right. There's references where Jesus is eating with sinners, just like we just read. There's a point where there's a in in Luke chapter 14, I believe it might be 13, 14. There's the great banquet where Jesus tells this parable about trying to invite people to the banquet table that he's preparing. He's like this wedding feast. He's wanting to invite people in. They need to come. They need to eat. He's inviting them to take part in the table. And then in Revelation chapter 3, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There is a reference there that is really referencing to a table aspect, the banquet table that the Lord provides. And so we begin to see this big picture as this. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that the church is a table where people can come to be fed and fellowship together. The church is a table where people can come to be fed and fellowship together. All right? Get that big picture because here's the big question. What brings people to the table? What brings people to the table? If the church 
is a table where people can come to be fed and fellowship together, then what brings people to the table? And that's what we're going to answer over the next couple chapters or in the next verses as we jump into Mark chapter 2, all right? Number one is this. I believe that the church should be attractive to others, all right? We're attractive to others. Jesus was very attractive, all right? There's an argument, for those of you who don't know much about this, but there's an argument amongst pastors and other people about should the church be attractive or should the church be missional, all right? In other words, should the church attract people by doing things or should the church be solely focused on the mission? And I believe that Jesus was both and. In other words, Jesus was very attractive. Jesus did things that drew people to himself, did he not? Jesus healed the sick, Jesus fed the poor, Jesus performed all kinds of miracles like the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus did all kinds of things that drew people to him. People who didn't even believe that he said who he said he was still followed Jesus, did they not? That's why Jesus on multiple occasions is out across the area and he's teaching to large groups of people, thousands of people out on the hillside where Jesus would pull up or Jesus pulls up on a boat, and he preaches to everybody along this mountainside. You, you know these stories that take place within Scripture. Jesus is all about this. Jesus attracted people, and I believe the church should be very attractive to others. And sadly, a lot of times, it seems like the church has become very unattractive. Now, I'm not just talking to us. I'm just talking. Sometimes we, we distort things. We miscommunicate. We don't understand everything that's going on and we act a different way but Jesus had a following of many people because of what he had done and so I think it's important that we begin to see this because when Jesus works in your life people will see what and how he works in your life they will see how he has worked in your life and we should want to talk about it see here's the deal if the church is the table I'm about to try and pull a magic trick and pull the tablecloth off and end up with a big problem here but all right if the church is the table the table should be attractive in other words the 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 invitation to the table really should be attractive right I mean I don't invite a salesman who's at my house to come and sit at my kitchen table do you like dude shows up ding dong hey I'm out here I'm trying to sell magazines oh yeah come on in let's sit at my kitchen table anybody ever done that all right, because you might be the one weird one. I don't know, you know, you know, but I don't invite the salesman. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I don't want anything. Bye-bye. See you later. All right. But when I want to invite somebody over, when there's somebody that I am inviting into my life to, to be a part of it, I make preparation for it, right? Like we set the table. If you come over to our house and it's just you or your family, like our life group knows this. We're not prepping out everything for y'all, do we? Like we don't we don't set the table. We don't get out the fine china. We don't, we don't do all that stuff. But if you're coming over to our house and it's just, you know, a small gathering of what's going on, we're going to be prepared for you. We're going to have the table set. The meal's going to be prepared. When you get here, we're going to do whatever we need to do with the pleasantries and say hi and things like that. But we're going to sit down and we're going to, we're going to converse. We're going to have a conversation. And some of the most intimate times that you will ever have take place, take place at a table. Do they not? That's why so many people have problems with family issues at Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yeah, because everybody now is vulnerable. It's like, okay, wait a second here. And then, then certain things happen. But intimacy takes place around a table. If somebody is invited into my house, they're all on the porch, they might come inside the doorway. 
but they're not going to make it to the living room. Or you may come over to our house, and you may make it to the living room and not make it to the kitchen. It depends on what's going on. How prepared we are. Did we invite you over? If it's a pop-in, hey, we're going to have you come in, sit down in the living room. We're probably not going to prepare a meal. But if we know you're coming over and we've planned it out, we've prepared a meal, we're ready to go. The church is very attractive or should be very attractive to others. And I think that's the same way it should play out. See, the church must have different groups of people. There are those who don't know Christ. There are those who know Christ and are young. There are those who know Christ and maybe are a little bit more mature, kind of like teenagers in the faith. And then there are those who should be parents, right? Like, I mean, if you come to our house during life groups, we always send the kids in one area, <laughs> right? Why? Because we can control the mess, number one, <laughs> all right? Number two, we are like, hey, we want to go hang out. But listen to me, a healthy church Listen to what happens when, when, when Jesus looks at this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Listen to what happens. There's a personal invitation there that Jesus does to Levi that he didn't do to anybody else, did he? He's just talked to a bunch of people. They've all followed him, but he just happens to pick out Levi, and he says, Levi, hey, the tax collector, the dude who's violated everything that the Jewish people look at, hey, why don't you come and follow me? And Levi's like, okay. And guess what happens? Jesus ends up going to Levi's house. Jesus was very attractive to others, and I believe the church should be very attractive to others in how we love people, how we serve people, how we connect with people, how we open up and relate to people, all right? The church should be a very simple thing that you are inviting others to the table to eat the bread, to partake in the bread, all right? We can look at it from a scriptural standpoint. What is Jesus called in John chapter 6? I'm the bread of life. Right? He lays all of these things out. And so I want to understand that I believe the church should have multiple people evident. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. If a church is made up solely of adults, parents, and we have no new believers, no people seeking out the truth of the gospel, we have no young believers, in other words, kind of teenage age, then we're missing a problem. We have a massive problem. Because if a church is all adults then it's not making any children. And if it's not making any children, it's going to eventually what? Die. Every church should have those groups available. Matter of fact, we're going to use something. If you go through our, 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 our church members class, the, the, the tour, you see this in there. Matter of fact, pop that up, Anna, the next slide. All right? And I know you can't see this very clearly. Matter of fact, I'm not worried about so much the outside ones. But if you notice, the yellow one from the top says, number one, these are people who are looking. They haven't come to Christ yet. All right? They're exploring. They're looking for truth. They're looking for answers. They're yellow. They're new. They're, 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 they're not a Christian yet. All right? But then there's a green one. The green one says it's the infant phase. All right? The infants always act like what? An infant, right? An infant has to learn how to live. A child has to be taught what to do. A, a baby has to be nourished and cared for and loved on and, 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 and encouraged and emotionally connected. All right? And emotional connections that can take place at the table. 
All right? After the infant, you have a child. A child is growing in their relationship, but they're very self-centered. Matter of fact, it's driving us nuts in our house the last couple of weeks. They disappeared to grandma and papa's for five, whatever, three weeks, and they are at each other's throats constantly. Why? Because they're very self-centered. Okay? Young adult face, matter of fact, if you have a teenager in your house, you're going to know this very much. They're very immature, right? They're trying to make wise adult decisions, but yet what do they still do? They still make stupid mistakes. They're still learning. They're still growing. There's a, a maturity thing. Matter of fact, as you see it, they, they learn to be growing in Christ-centered relationships and, and becoming a Christ-centered servant. As a teenager, they begin to learn to serve. And then there's the adult phase, all right, the parent phase. A parent is always somebody who is intentional about reproducing. We should have all four of those evident right here. Matter of fact, we could even throw in a fifth chair, all right? We can have the seekers, all right? I'll say that. We got the seekers, all right? An infant, if we had a high chair, would be perfect, right? Like a high chair. Think about a high chair. What happens in a high chair? Food gets tossed everywhere, right? Half the food's in the mouth, half the food's all over everybody else or all over the floor. An infant throws its way. It throws a fit. It didn't get what it wants. It wants to cry or whine or complain about everything that it's going on. As a matter of fact, that's what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, if you're a person who comes into church and constantly cries and whines and says it's not, it, they, didn't, they didn't appease me, they didn't meet my needs, they didn't do that, what, what, what phase are you stuck in? Infant phase. Children are the same way, though. I mean, my children are by no way, shape, or form great eaters. They still make messes like crazy. They get stuff all over their shirt. Of course, I do that every now and then too with barbecue. But infants have a big, bigger problem. So you have infants, you have children, you'll have young adults, you'll have adults that are going to be taking part in this process. See, every one of these types of people should be present in the life and ministry of the church. Why? Because every one of those types of people were present in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus hung out with disciples. You look at the main 12, but out of the 12, he had three. Of those three, those three, you look at them, Peter, James, John, and then we're going to throw in Paul later in Acts. All four of those were what we would classify as a paraphrase. Those guys were about the gospel, seeing the gospel multiplied and reproducing. Other disciples, we don't get as much information about them, but they were probably somewhere in there as well. But there are young adults, there are infants, there are children, there are people who are seeking out, looking for answers. Jesus had those evident, and I believe the church should have those evident in the, in, in, in the church as well. So our, our role, our goal is to follow Jesus on a daily basis and then go from there. Because listen, here's what happens. We invite people to the table, and I even brought these. Anybody like King's Hawaiian? Oh yeah, everybody's like, oh yeah, heck yeah, throw me one of those bad boys. But listen, when you invite somebody to the table, what are you inviting them to partake in? Your words? Your opinions? No, what are you inviting them to take part in? The food. And the food, according to John chapter 6, says that Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go. Now, I know this is torturous because, oh, man. If you've never had King's Hawaiian, you you might want to just drive by Price Chopper somewhere on the way home. And get you some King's Hawaiian rolls. Now, Sarah, when, when she bought this, she's like, you realize how expensive 
king's Hawaiian rolls are? And I went, I sure do. But they're so worth it. (laughs) Why? Because it's the bread of life. You're inviting people to partake in the bread of life. You're inviting them over to partake in the bread of life. All right? You are, see, I know, that's a, that was a good catch. This is like Lambert's. Where's my other Lambert's people? I, because this is what it is. But you're not just, yeah, yeah, Mal, yeah sorry, Caitlin's like, hey, what, what the heck? I can't hit you, Anna. All right, I'm not Patrick Mahomes. If I was Patrick Mahomes, no, never mind. <laughs> so, all right, but you, you know, see, here we go. Now, it's like, like everybody's going to be like, he's playing favorites with the Coons. What the heck? All right, so you get the picture, right? Barb, I'll give it a shot, okay? But here's, here's the deal, and, and I know we're, we're kind of laughing about this, but listen, John chapter 6, verse 44, it says this, no one can come to me unless the Father sent, who sent me draws them, all right? Jesus is, is in obedience to what, the God, what God is doing, and God is drawing people into you, and what the question is is this, are you inviting them to the table? You could be the person who takes food to them. You could be the person who takes the food to them, but you can also be the person who invites them to sit at the table, to be a part of experiencing what the church is, experiencing what Jesus offers, because Jesus is all about being the bread of life, because the bread of life, he knows this, that they will hunger and they will thirst for eternity spiritually if they do not have him. But if they have him, they will no longer hunger and they will no longer thirst because he is the bread of life. Because man cannot live on bread alone but can live on the mere words of God. That's the promise. And so Jesus was very attractive to others. Number two is this. What brings people to the table? What brings people to the table is when we say that there is room for others. When we promise that there are room for others, we are opening up an opportunity and saying, come and join me. Think about this. How often have you invited somebody over to your house and opened up the doors of fellowship so that you could connect with them and invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, every time we have somebody over to our house, and we have, we have people from church, we have people from work, we've had people from, from baseball, we we've have all those. And every time we pray, they know we're, we're, we're Christians, they know what we're going to stand for, we have all kinds of great discussions, we've had friends come as a result of, of relationships we've built through that, but I'm asking you this question, is your table open? Are you making room for others? Every year when we were growing up, we had, here we go. Oh, what the, that's like a, every year at Thanksgiving, we had a big family meal. And at that family meal, it was my, it was always at our house, my, my parents' house, but it was my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, cousins, everything like this. But we also had an Air Force base in town. And my parents would make relationships with people. Sometimes it was guys that my dad knew through work. Sometimes it was people we met through church who were part of the Air Force or things like that. And we invited people over. And we'd have 40, 50, sometimes 60 people in our house on Thanksgiving. You think yours is bad because you got 15. 
But it was awesome, especially when it came time to, for football with the kids. But there has to be room for others. Listen to what happens with Jesus. It says here in verse 15, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So here's the big picture. Jesus is eating, right? Jesus is partaking in the food. Jesus is hanging out with the sinners. Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors. And it says there were more people who came as a result of the following who were eating dinner with Jesus at whose house? Jesus didn't invite them to his house. He went to what? He went to their house. And what I find ironic about this is this. There has to be room for others. See, at the table there must be room for others because Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. And as a result, Matthew holds a dinner and invites others. There needs to be room for others. Matter of fact, if your faith doesn't have room for others, you don't understand the big picture. I'm not questioning your faith. You don't understand the big picture of what Jesus did for you on the cross so that you could relate with others because Jesus didn't die just for you. Jesus didn't stay on the cross just for you. He did it so others as well could know him. Others could follow him. Why? Because all of us are sinners, right? At least according to the Bible, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. See, what I, I, I stand by this, and I, I think it's one of those things. If you know our, our vision statement, we, we exist to lead people to believe the truth of Jesus Christ, to belong to a cause bigger than themselves, which we call that cause the church, to become everything that God created them to be, and to be sent to, their neighbor, to the neighbors and the nations. Right? So believe, belong, become, be sent. But listen to this. One of the greatest things the church could experience is this, that you belong before you believe. Why? Because you were created in the image of God. Doesn't mean you're a member. It just means that you're accepted. You are loved on. You are cared for regardless of what you believe at this point. Why? Because we want to take people where they're at introduce them to Jesus and allow Jesus to take them where they need to be. So we, lead, we exist to believe, belong, become, and be sent, but we have to make room for others. Remember what we said, all four chairs should be represented, and then we can talk about the high chair, but we won't get to that point. If I stay in the infant phase, or if I stay in the child phase my whole time, do I really understand everything that's going on? Am I really eating the food? Am I partaking of the bread of life? Because the reality is this. When I sit down at a table and I'm growing in my relationship with Christ and I'm eating the bread of life and I'm taking the bread of life and I'm applying him to my life and I'm taking in his word and I'm living it out, then the result should be that I don't stay the same, but that I grow. And as a result of growing, I no longer act like a child, but I begin to move into a phase, right? I may become an adult or a teenager, an adolescent. And then I'm going to become an adult. Because that's the role the church should play. It's a process of moving. It's a process of growing. And there has to be room for others. If we don't have room for others, we're always going to fail. Jesus was very intentional with his life, with his life and I think that we have to be very intentional with ours as well. Number 3 is this. 
What brings people to the table? We said number one is it, that it's attractive to others. Number, one, number two is that there's room for others. Number three is this. What brings people to the table, I believe, is this. It's the healing of the sick. At the table, people who are malnourished. At the table, people who are in need. At the table, people who are sick get healing. Listen to what it says. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Big, Jesus' biggest point, Jesus' biggest struggle, Jesus' biggest statement in all of this is the religious people who question every motive that Jesus had of hanging out with sinners. And listen, I, I understand there's a balance As a parent, you're always like, man, I want my kid hanging out with the wrong crowd. As an adult, you're like, well, I don't want to hang out with those people because they're just a little weird. Which I'm going to be very clear, I understand completely. Sometimes people are just weird. (laughs) No, I'm not even going to go there. So, (laughs) but listen to me. Jesus died on the cross to heal the sick. And he offers that healing to others. So what brings people to the table is when people who are sick are made well. Remember going back to the start where we said that people who ate together as a family usually had a more positive outlook on the future, struggled less with depression and suicidal thoughts. They were healthier. They were, listen to me, here's what happens in the church. Here's what happens as a believer. Here's what happens when Jesus invades your life. When you eat the bread of life. When that happens, Jesus begins to heal you. And it's not just Jesus beginning to heal you, but when you're around the church, you're a part of the church, you fellowship with the church, you feed on the word of life and you fellowship with others, there is a healing that takes place that all of us need. Number one, the first and foremost healing is the the relationship you need to have with Christ. Number two is this, when you're walking through the thick of things, when you're struggling with depression and doubt and anxiety, maybe suicidal thoughts, a loss of a job, guess what you need? You don't just need Listen to me, I'm not trying to discredit this. You need God's word, but you need others who are going to strengthen you, who are going to encourage you, who are going to equip you, who are going to follow along with you, who are going to walk beside you, who are going to hold you up, and they're going to meet you at the table. Because listen to me, the table, going back to our main statement that I said earlier, the table or the church is a table where people come to be fed and to fellowship together. See, one of the things I love when we have people over to our house is to sit down and just talk. Sometimes it's random stuff. Sometimes it's just about whatever's going on. And all of y'all know me. My wife, not so much. I could talk to almost anybody. If you can't have a conversation with me, we're probably going to have problems. I'm just joking. (laughs) Because I can pretty much talk to anybody. But listen to me. Fellowship this idea of breaking bread together, this deep relationships that you need to have. And this is the thing, I hope, I hope you hear, me, hear my heart. Because you may be a person on the outside who says, you know what, I don't feel like I have a place at the table yet. And this is what I want to challenge you. If you are a part of our church here, find somebody. 
And maybe you start with simply this, because sometimes going to somebody's house is a little weird, right? Like, then they invite us over to our house. Hey, you want to go out to lunch with us? Sunday. We're just going to go to Dickie's Barbecue, whatever. I don't, you know. That's where it can start. But listen to me, true fellowship happens around a table, all right? And that table, remember what we talked about earlier? The table is not necessarily a church building, it's the church. You are inviting others into your life because the church is the very people of God, right? The church is a people. So I'm inviting people into the life, into my life, so you can experience the true joy that comes as a result of having a relationship with Christ. And so I hope you see that played out in, in, in what Scripture says because he goes on and he says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. And I think that's important for us to realize because Jesus' biggest statement comes here. The religious elite questioned Jesus' motives and his association with sinners. And Jesus is calling the sick not just to repentance, but to understand the full acceptance of the kingdom of God. He's inviting them into a relationship with him and inviting them to the table. Why? Because they need it. I look at all of the, 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 the conflict and the struggles that we see in society. Matter of fact, and, and listen, whether you are pro or against social media, hear me out on this, okay? We have a lot of arguments on social media, it seems like, when if you just sat down at the table and had a discussion, things would be way different. Matter of fact, I've stopped responding for most things because I'm just not going to deal with it. All of a sudden, politics has become a god in most people's lives. Being right in everything on social media has become the god in most people's lives. That has become the main thing that goes on. Instead, matter of fact, let's, let's, say, let's be honest with you. Most of the time when stuff is said on social media, if you were sitting down across the table from somebody, you would never say it. Never. But you'll type it out on a keyboard or on your phone to make sure somebody gets the big picture that you don't agree with what they stand on. Do you? I mean, could you imagine this? Oh, you're a dummy. I mean, that's like seventh grade food fight in, 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 in middle school. I'm just going to throw stuff at you. That would never happen. Instead, when you sit down and you would have a conversation with people, there's healing that takes place. There's an understanding that takes place. There's an understanding of their viewpoint and why they may feel a certain way, why they may say certain things, why they may stand behind certain people. So listen to me, and here's the big picture, I think, from the big thing. When you come to the table, you come to get fed, but you also come to fellowship, to build relationships, to strengthen your spiritual understanding. And listen to me, I believe one of the greatest things you could do is that when you fellowship together, you grow in the word together, you hold each other accountable, and you become stronger. It's a stronger bond. That's why the church is always called a family. You show me a church where the people fellowship regularly together, and I'm not just talking about having to schedule a potluck. I'm talking about you show me a church where people take it upon themselves to invite other people into their lives 
It doesn't have to be scheduled. It doesn't have to be programmed and formatted. But you show me a church that does that, and I'll show you a church that actually gets it. Because a church should grow in the word, and a church should fellowship together and grow in relationship with one another. And so here's the very simple fact with how we want to wrap this up. I'm going to eat. I have a couple of these left over. I don't know if anybody else wants to get hit. (laughs) But listen, if you solely feed on the word by yourself and you never relate with another person, you don't truly understand why the bread came in the first place. If you're an isolated person who says, I can do it without the church. I can do it without other believers. You're still in that child phase because you're not understanding the benefit the relationships with others bring to you. I believe the number one reason people give up on church is not because God's failed them. It's usually because either A, they've stayed isolated and separated from the church and not wanted to get close, not wanted to be vulnerable, not wanted to open themselves up, so they've stayed out. And as a result, something bad happens. They're like, oh, see ya. I'm out of here. Or the church, the people, didn't invite them in because they didn't have room for other people in it. So my challenge to you today is this. Come to the table. Come be a part of what Jesus is doing because Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the head of the table. Jesus is really the servant of of the table, who's dishing it out, who's giving us him, his very self. And he's asking us to take it in, to connect with others as we relate to each other, and then listen, because we're going to push more on this, to push away from the table to get up and go to the world. So the simple question is this. Who's at your table? Father, we thank you for we thank you for the fact that Jesus is the bread of life, that he offers us that life and that we can walk through life not on our own but with him, through his strength, through his power. But God, I also thank you for the relationships that Jesus calls us to, the bonds of fellowship, the bonds that we can build together with, with Christians that we, we can have to hold us accountable. But God, I also pray that we would understand it's not just for fellowship that we come together, but God, it is also to reach those who have never heard. God, may we be a church that always has an extra seat to invite other people in. We have room for others. Because we know that the biggest picture of all is this, that when people come to the table, when people partake in the bread of life, their life is changed. Because man cannot live on bread alone, but can live on the very word of God. And so God, today I pray that you would speak to us, that we would be open to what you are saying, that your spirit would move, and that God, maybe it's just a simple fact that we need to invite somebody to lunch, to be a part of partaking in breaking of bread. But maybe there's somebody today who has never, never put their faith and trust in Christ, and they just need to partake in the bread of life. So may we simply walk in obedience to what you're calling us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. We're going to close with this song. If you have never 